Welcome to Let's Face the Facts. I'm David Almeida, and I'm your host for this rewatch podcast for the classic sitcom, The Facts of Life. I'm an actor in Orlando, Florida, and every week I invite an actor or artist friend to watch an episode with me. Join us as we synopsize, analyze, criticize, and ultimately idolize the show. Hey there, guys. Welcome back. Another week, another episode. Thank you for downloading and pressing play. My guest this week is April Fresh. April Fresh is a local Orlando drag performer. According to her website, April Fresh is a goddess, a drag performer, a home cook, an actress, a radio personality, a hostess with the mostess, and a dance enthusiast. And on top of that, April is a super crazy 1980s trivia enthusiast. So I knew at some point I needed to get her on the show, and I did just that. But before we get to the show, I do need to give two shout-outs to two new Tutti Fruities. First, we have got MPM. That's right. The first initials are MP. And the last initial is M, so you're just MPM. You are three letters, and thank you so much. And, of course, Stephen M. Want to give a shout-out and a hey-hi-hello there. Stephen M. uh, may or may not be one of my best friends who is giving me money for the podcast, which he knows he does not have to do. But anyway, it is my pleasure to welcome MPM and Stephen M. to the family. If you want to be like them, you can become a Tutti Fruity, which is a monthly sponsor of the show at patreon.com slash facethefactspod. A monthly donation of $3 gets you a shout-out on the show, access to my other podcast called TV Talkaholics, which I do with Matthew Arter every month. Or, if you don't want to support the show monthly, you can do a one-time tip through Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal. The links to all that stuff is in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. And if you don't want to send me one thin dime, that is okay. I'm still going to be here, and I'm still going to be doing the show. This week, April Fresh and I watched Season 6, Episode 17, Two Guys from Appleton, which had an original air date of January 23rd, 1985. It was written by Paul Haggis. We've discussed him a lot on the show. And it was directed by John Boab. We've discussed him also many, many times, so we don't even discuss it when I have April on the show because we have bigger and better things to talk about. So, let's get to it, shall we? Let's face the facts with April Fresh. Welcome, Miss April Fresh, to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. I've been a... uh, Even though I don't know you that well, I have been a fan, and I also uh, am a big fan of the facts of life. So this is perfect for me, because I love all things 80s. Um, even the 80s things that I don't like, I love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yes. Oh, exactly. Yeah. The, sometimes the, I find the things that I love the most about the 80s are arguably the most hideous, repulsive things about the decade. I'm definitely obsessed with 80s music. Um, and even the songs that I hated back then, um, 
now I look back and I'm like, you know what? We built this city on rock and roll was kind of a good song. <laughs> it's terrible, but I love it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it's sure. Yeah. It's it's like it's like Grease too. It's like I wish I knew how to quit you. But we were Trinell and I were talking about that just last week about how it is hands down the greatest cinematic bad movie achievement in all of the movies ever. Yes. However, I was listening to that podcast and um, it was kind of a debate, which is better slash worse, Grease 2 or Showgirls. Mm. And I feel like I'm more of a Showgirls fan, <gasps> um, but still both are pretty much on the same playing field. You know yeah. I mean? The one thing we can say, though, is uh, Grease 2 was 1982, Showgirls was 1995. So we can agree that of the 80s, bad, terrible movies, Grease 2. 100%. <laughs> well, I've also been a fan of yours uh, somewhat from a distance. And and like you said, we're, we're not really friends we've only met in passing a, a few times. So I'm really thrilled to actually have you here in the show from what I hear about your enthusiasm for the facts of life and for everything. You you refer to your fans as, as ladies of the 80s, don't you? I do, because I... So I go to two things every year. I go to something called the 80s Cruise, um, which is a week-long um, all-inclusive cruise. So it's a lot of drinking, but they also have about 15 concert, 15 bands that all do concerts on it. Um, and then there's another event called 80s in the Sand, which is in the past, it's been in Dominican Republic, but this coming year, it's in Mexico, providing that COVID goes away and we can all actually have these mm. events. Um, and that's a similar thing, but at an all-inclusive resort with you know 15 or so concerts and so much fun. So I have, um, I am one of the music trivia hostesses uh, at the 80s in the Sand. So I have accumulated lots of friends from all over the, country and Canada and, you know, even some in Europe that are also 80s enthusiasts as, as I am, as well as music enthusiasts. So um, we're all kind of in that age range, but, you know, 40s to 50s where we're, you know, the 80s was our heyday and that was our, uh, that's what we're, we're into. And it's pretty cool because I've uh, accumulated all these friends. So whenever I do my posts a lot, you know, I do a lot of online shows and stuff and it's pretty much for them, which has been an awesome thing during pandemic as mm -hmm. well as um, a way to stay connected to my ladies of the eighties. <laughs> and you've even hosted straight up eighties trivia nights also here in town. Haven't you? I have every Monday at district dive. Um, I am your, retro trivia hostess um and it's 80s and 90s um it's basically pop culture movies tv music um all of those sorts of things um and it is starts at 9 30 and it's mm -hmm. two for one cocktails that's just my little shameless plug for that <laughs> well, do it district dive is a cute little place i love that it is cute isn't i really enjoy it um fun places it's a fun place to work as well as a nice place to get a cocktail so yeah it's a, it's a good time every monday cool 
Well, we'll talk more about uh, some of the other stuff you do uh, in, in terms of your career and your performances and and your award-winning comedy brunches. Thank you. Yes, uh, I just was named the favorite local brunch for the Wave Awards, which is, for those of you that don't know, is basically the LGBTQ Community Awards um, sponsored by Watermark Magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I was uh, the last couple years I have been nominated, but this was my first win, so I was very excited. Ah, <laughs> oh, well, congratulations! Thank I'm you so catching you fresh on the heels of that win, so it's great. I'm catching you before you, you know, are going to go Hollywood and be far too famous to appear on my little shit show. Basically, that's that's <laughs> the goal, anyway. <laughs> well, Miss April Fresh. This yeah. is the top of the show where I like to put my guest on the spot and ask you if you would please provide a one to two sentence synopsis of the episode that we have watched, similar to a listing like you might read in a TV guide. Gotcha. This week's episode, a blast from the past for Edna Garrett sweeps back into town and rekindles their romance from high school. Beautiful. How was that? Good Excellent. <laughs> that was wonderful. And the thing I love is that you actually unintentionally created some intrigue because it says two guys from Appleton. Yes, it does. Leaving one to wonder, who are the two guys if Edna is only rekindling a romance with one of the guys? Exactly. Very exciting stuff. <laughs> or maybe it could have been, t- that could have been a whole other episode to have two old flames show up. But, but, but we'll, we'll start rewriting this episode a little bit later when I exactly. <laughs> present my notes to the writers. So, uh, yes, this episode is, as far as uh, any landmarks that happen in this episode, this is the one that introduces us to this character of Kevin played by the wonderful Ryan Cassidy. And uh, are you familiar with the career of Ryan Cassidy, April? I am not. Well, Ryan Cassidy is the youngest of the four Cassidy brothers. Oh. So the oldest being David Cassidy, star of The Partridge Family. The next one down the line is Sean Cassidy, star of The Hardy Boys. Absolutely. And uh, also a recording artist, had a big top 10 hit with, of all songs, Da Do Run Run in 1976. (laughs) Do you remember that? I don't know if you're you're a bit younger. (laughs) What a weird thing. And sidebar, have you ever heard the Laverne and Shirley version? Um, Do I want to? That's the question. (laughs) Oh, if you love bad movies like Showgirls, I do, and so bad musicals like it. Grease too, you are going to love Laverne and Shirley sing. I'll direct you to the. There's a YouTube video actually oh. of it, and the funny thing is, I feel like they tried to submit that to be somehow get radio play mm-hmm. when they did it because the first song in the album is Laverne and Shirley, just a much worse arrangement. And there is a sense of what? What were they? Th- who the fuck would, did Do Run Run in 1976? Who would that? Next year, Sean Cassidy did it. It's so weird. Uh, Next in line in the Cassidy dynasty is Patrick Cassidy, who is a more of a stage star. He was in the original Broadway cast of Assassins and has starred in many national tours. And then uh, here we have the youngest, which is Ryan Cassidy, who 
actually is the least famous and did the least performing. He ended up moving more to behind-the-scenes work as his career progressed. But obviously here he's very young. He's only about 20 years old. Well, it's interesting now that you say that because um, I can see that he is a Cassidy now that now that I know who he was. I did not pay attention to the credits. Ah, <laughs> interesting. Does, he does look... Cassidy like. <laughs> and of the four of them, honestly, I think he resembles his dad the most. And uh, by his dad, of course, I mean big time, huge Broadway star and recording artist Jack Cassidy, a well known singer, crooner, Casanova, uh, secretly bisexual, apparently. Ooh. We, <laughs> I know, <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Jack Cassidy was kind of one of those great, uh, almost like old school swashbuckler womanizer. He he could have been a member of the Rat Pack, don't you think? Gotcha. Yes, and um, you know it's it's funny that there's always so many musical and entertainment families, and when mm -hmm. you find out if you don't if you know nothing about them, and then you do the research and you find out that they come from that in their background, it really makes sense in a lot of cases. Oh, yeah, totally. And uh, so, yeah, Jack Cassidy is the father of all of them, and you can find him all over your variety shows from the 70s, all those appearances, and uh, he, was, he was a big star, kind of like an Eddie Fisher, where he never really had a big movie or TV show, per se, that thrust him into the pop culture pantheon of entertainment, but uh, he was big in his day. Gotcha. Very cool. Uh-huh. Now, his first wife was Evelyn Ward, who was an actress, and she is the mother of David Cassidy. But the subsequent three sons, of whom we just spoke, their mother is actress Shirley Jones. Partridge Family, right? Yeah. Partridge Family, uh, the original film versions of Oklahoma and Carousel and The Music Man. Uh, she was Drew Carey's older girlfriend on The Drew Carey Show in the 90s. Right. <laughs> and uh, one last thing about the Cassidy brothers. The, as I said, Patrick has uh, had a career that has been mostly on the stage. Uh, but there was a time when David Cassidy and Sean Cassidy played the title roles in the musical Blood Brothers on Broadway when the show came over from London. So even though they are a few uh, years apart and they're technically half-brothers, Blood Brothers is about uh, fraternal twins. And they played the brothers. So during this time in the 90s, when we had the three Cassidy brothers all on the stage, there is a recording at a Stephen Sondheim benefit concert of the three of them singing, You Could Drive a Person Crazy from Company. Wow. I found it on YouTube. I will post the video. So David, I have a question for you that I feel like your listeners would be interested in hearing. Okay. Um, of the following genres, television, movies, and uh, Broadway, what is your, how would you rank those from favorite to least favorite? Because I notice you always make lots of references to all of them. And I know that's a difficult question because it would be a difficult question for me. Um, damn, that is really hard. It's like I've, I've lived multiple lives uh, because I watch TV 
like crazy when I was a kid. That was my major download time was my kid years. The late 70s into the early 80s, you know, even, you know, before I was 10 years old, I um, I remember the Sonny and Cher show in its first run. Yes. And by the calendar, that started in 72 when I was four. Mm -hmm. But I remember it distinctly on in prime time. So TV was my obsession when I was a young, young kid. And then... Um, I liked movies. I always watched movies. But then in high school, when I got into the theater and got into musicals, it was uh, high school and college were my consumption of Broadway stuff. But in college, I studied cinema. And then after I got out of college uh, for a brief time, we were talking about the Watermark before. I was the film critic for Watermark for five years back in the 90s when I was seeing two to three movies every single weekend. Uh, so I, I don't know if I could if I could choose which of those I'm more passionate about because they all hold such equal but different places in my heart. Right. Very different, but all imp super important. Yeah. What would your answer to your own question be? Um, probably as an as a uh, kid, I would have been TV, then movies, then Broadway. I feel like that has completely reversed as an adult. And I would say Broadway number one. Um, and with this whole pandemic, I'm so sad that I haven't, you know, I've already missed two trips to New York to go oh. see some Broadway shows. Um, and then I would probably put, I would still probably put TV second and movies last, which I think is weird to say that, but it's probably the case because there's so many movies that I'm just like, I don't really want to see that. Yeah. And and then over time, as I'm aging, I uh, the retention isn't the same. The, mm -hmm. com compared to the times in your life when you were consuming things for the first time. And, right. you know, that's a different type of a download than now when we can listen to pretty much any Broadway show or see a movie or watch a TV show. And it's rare for us to sense or feel like this is completely unlike anything I've ever seen before. Everything is all based on stuff that came before it. And and so I sometimes feel like I'm 80 years old because it'll be like, did you see this movie? Yeah, I saw that movie. Uh, I don't remember anything about it, but I know that I saw it. Exactly. And, you know, your brain just gets fuller. So, yeah, I feel like all three of those have, have softened dramatically, even in just the last decade, with how much more I've been consuming of, of all three of those. So that sort of ends my deep dive about the Cassidy brothers. Uh, but back to Ryan in particular. We have yeah. a weird thing that's never happened before, April. At, uh, at the top of the show, there is a credit that says Ryan Cassidy as Kevin. Yes. Which is weird. We've had some extra characters float in and out of the opening theme as the producers have tried to add the odd character. But now, as opposed to sticking someone in the opening theme or as typical crediting them in the end credits, for the first time in this entire show, this entire series, six and a half seasons, we have a credit and text on the screen at the top of the episode. And that was the first one in the whole series so far? That's pretty interesting. Ever, ever. Now the music is also a, a little bit of an anomaly. Sometimes we have that little, uh, that flute intro, intro music 
Uh, mm -hmm. We had it here over that credit. That's been kind of on again, off again. But by next season, season seven, there will always be some type of music at the top of the show, uh, if not an establishing shot of the exterior of the of the building. Right. But it's just weird that they were clearly uh, th this was not a one off. This was not a well, let's just hire this one actor to do this one show. It was like the intention was clearly there that Ryan Cassidy was going to be around. And of the many questionable things the producers have done over the years, it's like, really? You think that the show needs something? You think it's like, ah, oh, this show about four girls and their uh, female mentor, uh, sage advice giver. We need to add a guy into it. We need a guy. Uh and we've just added, by the way, um, we haven't talked about him because he hasn't gotten in yet, but we've just added Mackenzie Aston. Right. And then next week, that credit at the top of the show is going to also be followed by uh, Mackenzie Aston as Andy. Mm. And <laughs> and Mackenzie Aston, son of John Aston and Patty Duke, it's like the right. children of celebrity clearinghouse here, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> But the deal is, um, we have that, which is weird, but, you know, whatever, we we survive. It wasn't that uh, egregious uh, transgression. It was just uh, unusual to see it, because this is not a show that ever ran credits at the top. They always came at the end. Mm -hmm. So to go into a little bit more detail about the uh, synopsis of the show, what happens in this episode is, we start off in the store, Edna's Edibles, and... In comes this attractive young guy named Kevin, and he says he's looking for his dad. And they're like, who, what are you talking about? He goes, my dad, Ted Metcalf. And they're like, we don't know who you're talking about. And he says, isn't this Edna Garrett's store, Edna Garrett from Appleton, Wisconsin? And they're like, yeah, but we don't know of any Ted Metcalf. And he's like, ah, that's so weird. I was supposed to meet him on the 10th and he's not here. And the girls say, it's the ninth, you're a day too early. And so he's like, don't, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, so then he says, we'll tell you what, uh, let's forget about this. I screwed up. Uh, my dad is going to be mad. So just don't say anything and I'll show up tomorrow and bye-bye. And out he goes. So then Mrs. Garrett comes in and very quickly she passes him. And so she's like, who is that guy? And Tootie uh, we're talking not even a nanosecond. And Tootie spoils the whole thing. And she does. And she's just like, oh, he's, he was here looking for his dad or something. And yeah. quickly they're like, Tony, what the fuck are you doing? So exactly. finally they're just like, it's okay. And they, so they mention the name Metcalf and she's like, Metcalf? Mrs. Garrett's like, Met <laughs> the only person named Metcalf I know couldn't possibly be him. And they're like, what? She says, well, I knew him back in Appleton. I dated a guy named Ted uh, when I was in high school. And they're like, yep, that's him. They asked about Appleton and, you know, <laughs> for, for, for the subtlety impaired listening, the two guys from Appleton are Kevin and his dad. So there you go. Title of show. Uh, so then Mrs. Garrett quickly reveals that there's kind of a interesting history there. There's some intrigue. And... In one of the many surprising moments that you get in a sitcom, in the moment where it's clear she's about to tell the story, the girls are like, oh, get ready. And somebody says, I'll lock the door, you get the chairs. Mm -hmm. 
lock the door. You know, because when you run a retail store and one of your employees wants to tell a story from their past, I think it's a good idea to lock the store and close, don't you? It's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what? Oh, (sighs) Yeah. But the long and short of it is that Mrs. Garrett and this guy Ted dated for about a year and a half. She had her first kiss with him, but the night of the senior prom, she broke his heart. He was working late at his father's hardware store. A vacuum cleaner salesman came by her house. And as they got talking, she realized that he was living the life she always dreamed she would live, about wanting to travel, wanting to count the steps on the palace at Versailles. Well, she got so swept up with this vacuum cleaner salesman, she went to Ted's house to break up with him, couldn't bring herself to do it, left behind his pin on his doormat, and eloped with the vacuum cleaner salesman the next day. And then what does Natalie say? I hope he didn't step on it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Natalie. I know. But, but so that's it, and so that must have been her first husband, and that's probably who her. I know she has a couple of boys, and I think they were from him, and yeah, just all of a sudden, no more Ted. And and again, the next night we eloped, so that implies that Mrs. Garrett never graduated from high school, or didn't until later had to do a a GED or something. I'm saying GED, yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean it had to be because Mrs. Garrett later went on and became a registered nurse. Correct. For one episode, and then it's never spoken about again. (laughs) But I'm pretty sure that when the Drummonds uh, interviewed her to be their maid and clean their toilets and uh, scrape Dana Plato's hair out of the shower drain, it was like, I think you need to have a GED, ma'am. Yep. (laughs) But here's the deal. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this man, her first husband, is not Mr. Garrett, the father of her children. Ah, you think there's another one, or you think she, or is Garrett her her maiden name? Uh, Garrett is definitely not her maiden name because no, no. in season one, episode three, we met uh, Robert Alda, her ex husband. Uh, uh, Robert Alda, I'll know when my love comes along. Guys and dolls, Sky Masterson father of Alan Alda, Robert Alda, is Mr. Garrett, is what they referred to him as. I think it was Robert. They kept his name Robert Garrett. And he didn't seem like a vacuum salesman. No. All we knew was that he was a gambler. And we knew that that what broke up their marriage was that he basically was always spending their money, always gambling. They were always broke. And uh, because her sons have the last name Garrett, we have reason to assume that Robert Alda is the dad of her two boys, whom we have met. So I don't know if we ever get this gap filled in with the mystery that is the life and career of Edna Garrett. But I feel like this was probably a fling. I would have loved it if somehow in the episode later when she was reminiscing with Ted, uh, mentioning that either it didn't last very long with the vacuum cleaner salesman or uh, something to the effect of, I have two boys now. Oh, it's not, you know, they're not his. They came later kind of a thing. But it is a mystery. But the only thing I have to say is uh, it would be weird if Robert Alda was a vacuum cleaner salesman and if they had been together since high school. That's 
that's a long time. It is a long time. I, I feel like he came later. I, I I don't have any verification. If any listener out there uh, has any future information that's about to come out in future episodes, I'm all ears. You know I love nothing more than to make sense of the senseless, often ignored show Bible or or lack thereof when it comes to that. Now, you're certainly not implying that there might be discrepancies in the Facts of Life uh, longevity script, are you? Uh-huh. The <laughs> F-O-L-C-U, April, the Facts of Life cinematic universe that I mention on a regular basis. Oh, the inconsistencies. And and they're getting worse. As we pr- proceed through yeah. the show, they're getting worse uh, here in season six. Uh, yeah. But anyway, we know that uh, they're coming back, that father and son are going to be coming back to see Mrs. Garrett and Tootie, appropriately, very in character for Tootie, she's all, he's come back for you. This is it. This is what's going on. And right. he's here. And and she has literally no idea who he is anymore, what he does, or why he would be in town. Mm-hmm. But uh, we go on to the next scene. But, but, but Mrs. Garrett is definitely intrigued and... Uh, a little happy to to look forward to seeing him mm-hmm. if if the opportunity to rekindle something is there uh then uh it seems like she's certainly open to it so then uh, we're in the house behind the shop it's the next day mrs garrett is a little gussied up she's mm-hmm. primping making sure she looks pretty uh before she meets them she's definitely nervous trying to plan what she's going to say and then uh, they they do arrive, and we have Kevin again with his dad, Ted Metcalf, played by character actor Dick O'Neill. Did you recognize him? I did not recognize him, but that doesn't mean I haven't seen him in a million things. Exactly. He's that guy where you go, oh, um, yeah, him. He's uh, like Dabney Coleman. Not <laughs> many people know who that is, but they've seen him in everything. Yeah. And again, generationally, you and I know Dabney Coleman, he's the yeah. best asshole ever in Absolutely. the world. He's in Tootsie. He's in... Um, nine to Five. Nine to Five. Yeah, Tootsie and Nine to Five are like the two greatest... Uh, exactly. The best. You're a sexist, lying, hypocritical, egotistical bigot or whatever yeah. order. Sexist, egotistical, lying, hypocritical bigot. <laughs> Ding, you win. Yes, exactly. there it is. Well, here's the thing. We have seen Dick O'Neill, the actor, on The Facts of Life previously, mm. though not playing the role of Ted Metcalf. Dick right. O'Neill previously played the store detective at the department store in Peekskill in the episode Shoplifting from season two, episode six, back at the end of 1980. So we're talking it is four years since he's been asked to come back. Um, but he has a huge career. I'm not even going to go into it. He's one of those actors who has done a kabillion things. Like you said, yep. he has 141 credits over a 43 year career. Oh, good for him. That's what any <laughs> character actor could ever dream of having. I have found, um, watching shows like the golden girls and like any show like this that you get obsessed about and you rewatch, you realize, 
oh, that's the same person that also played this person. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then in this other episode, they also played this person. And I think that's kind of cool. And then you wonder, like, are they just friends with the casting director? Who knows? Who knows the story behind that? But that is interesting that he was in season two and then in season six. Yeah. And uh, uh, I, I call it the Bernie Capel factor. Mm. Because Bernie Capel, I think, was friends with William Asher and Elizabeth Montgomery. And anytime they needed a character on Bewitched, <laughs> yeah, Bernie Capel would just get the phone call. They'd be like, can you be, you know, a Russian philosopher? Can you be a, a roller skating drag queen? And he'd be like, yes, I can. I'm an actor. I say yes. Exactly. That's neat. I, yeah. Um, I, part of me, and tell me if you feel the same way. Do you miss that first season when there were the seven girls like Molly Ringwald and uh, Cindy and Nancy and all of those? Or have you grown into just the four? The facts of life to me is not the facts of life until there is Joe. It's Joe taking off that motorcycle helmet. That's the beginning. (laughs) <laughs> that is the beginning. I have I have joked many times that if you listen closely at your TV speaker, you can hear the click of the show just falling into place yeah. and everything suddenly being good and right and and pure and whole in the FOLCU. Yes. I like so, it. Nope. Well, when Ted arrives and he and Edna first start talking, there is clearly an instant connection or reconnection. And, and both of the actors beautifully play the infatuation. And uh, uh, she asks him about how is the hardware business? And he says he doesn't know. And she's like, oh, you, you didn't stay with the hardware business? He's like, no, I'm an art teacher. I'm here in town lecturing at Langley this week. He used to sketch in high school. She was reminded. And then he said, after she dumped him, broke his heart, crushed him, he went to Paris kicked around for a while, and I love this joke, fell in with the wrong Frenchman and ended up a sculptor. <laughs> I I've, heard that too, and I, I didn't know how to take that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think if I fell in with the wrong Frenchman, I would have ended up something different than a sculptor. But, mm, well, um, you were raised right. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, when she says, I, I feel so bad... In my mind, I feel like I ruined your life. And he says to her, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And and then they, as they're taking stock, he says, it all worked out for the best. I got married. I had a son. And then I got divorced. And Mrs. Garrett stops in her tracks. Almost a close-up reaction shot of <laughs> divorced. That was a very excellent impression, by the way. And so, thank you. I've been cultivating it over 124 episodes of this podcast. You're welcome. (laughs) Feel free to join me. Bad Mrs. Garrett impressions are welcome to join me with my bad Mrs. Garrett impression. Um, So she mentions that she met his son in passing, Kevin, the day before, but he had gotten his dates mixed up. And he does say, yeah, that sounds like him. He was raised by his mother in California. He doesn't really get to see much of him. Uh, He is hoping that Kevin will get his act together and start settling down and figuring out what he wants to do with his life. But all he wants to do is ski. He wants to teach skiing. All he ever is involved with is skiing. 
So then Edna tells Ted that she's also divorced. And uh, he says, well, I'm leaving town. I'm going to be here for a week. And then Kevin and I are going to Canada on a vacation. And I thought it'd be nice to connect. Good to see you. Bye. And he leaves. And the girls come back out and they're like, that, that's it. He's already gone. And then someone says, well, he's here a week. Maybe he'll call you. He opens the door, pops his head back in and says, are you busy for dinner tonight? And Mrs. Garrett immediately responds, I'll drive. And off they go. Kindling rekindled right there. So quickly. Yeah. I so, did notice this episode is very light on the girls and it's mostly Edna. And that's rare. We've yeah. been having this this long evolution where Mrs. Garrett has been becoming less and less relevant and less and less needed because Blair and Joe are 20 now. They're college sophomores. Right. They're able to solve their own problems a lot and counsel the other girls. And Charlotte Ray has written about this in her memoir that there was a point when she was starting to realize that this show doesn't need me anymore. And she was already kind of planning an exit at this point and trying to do what she could to fortify the show so that it could continue on if she did decide to leave, which she did. That's right, because then we had over our heads. <laughs> yeah, then we had over our heads and Cloris Leachman, yeah. Um, oh, before we go to the next scene, I just have to point out, Blair has been having some interesting hair episodes. and Mullet, uh, mullet full mullet, and mm -hmm. not just any mullet. I call this her Joe Dirt mullet. Very Joe. Uh-huh. Yeah. Do I lie? Mm-hmm. No, not at all. Um, and for being a character that was so infatuated with her looks, even though it was in the peak of the 80s where mullets were a thing, you still would have think that the character of Blair Warner would have better fashion than that. And not mm -hmm. gone, so, gone so lesbian, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I mean, there was that thread of it through the 80s anyway. Right. And and it also did give her some freedom, the fact that Joe was full on, like, there were some episodes she was one step away from Diesel, yes. the way Joe was dressed. But so Blair, by comparison, looks very feminine in in a man suit, for crying out loud. True. <laughs> So then the next scene, uh, what we've got is we've got uh, the girls in the store. Blair is helping uh, Kevin. I want to call him Ryan. Blair has been helping Kevin shovel the sidewalk. Blair has been performing manual labor because clearly uh, in the very first minutes of the episode, she was complaining about some boy had already broken it off with her after one date and how dare he. And Blair has bounced back very quickly with uh, clearly being a little bit sweet on Kevin and in trying to be agreeable to him and being, you know, the deferential, dutiful girlfriend every woman should be. She's helping him shovel the sidewalk along the whole block. And this leads to only, like, really probably one of the best jokes in the entire episode. Yes, one of the best jokes. <laughs> yeah. And it's where Kevin says, okay, well, we're through actually shoveling the snow. Um, do you guys have any salt? I'll put it on the ice. And what does Blair do? She grabs the little salt shaker off of the table at Edna's Edibles. Hilarious. Comedy gold. I love that moment because it's so perfectly in character 
that she would make that mistake. Yes. So Kevin asks about his dad and it's like, well, he's out with Mrs. G again. They've been uh, hanging out all week. And he says, well, dad's just been so happy. He's been walking around and humming all the time. It's too bad that they're going to be leaving town on Saturday for this vacation. And Kevin's not even looking forward to it because his dad has been giving him a lot of flack wanting him to settle down, setting goals, having a purpose in life, and confirming what the dad said earlier. Kevin's like, all I want to do is ski. I live for the slopes. And and I will point out, all of the girls are a little flirty. Tootie and Natalie, too, are kind of like uh, throwing themselves at him. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's an attractive guy. He's really, really cute yes, and uh, understandable. Uh, that they're into it. But it's interesting because uh, next week I'm going to be doing an episode where he's hanging out with Joe a lot, where suddenly it's like, oh, so are are he and Joe a thing? Because this week you're kind of implying that he and Blair could be a thing. And and I know down the road he's going to have to move in with them and he becomes a big pain in the ass and they all hate him. So um, I don't know. This is all memory. I haven't actually digested those episodes, but it's just interesting where... Oh, we have to add this character. We have to add this. We, we've we got Ryan Cassidy. We got to add a character and put a credit at the beginning of the episode for him. Yes. So what are you going to do with him? Um, he'll date one of the girls and maybe date one of the other girls and might move in. Or It's like, it's very apparent they did not have a clear set path for what they wanted to do with him once they got him. Um. So uh, they do say to Kevin, it's too bad you couldn't postpone the trip since you're not looking forward to it. And since that way your dad could spend more time with Mrs. Garrett. And before they have a chance to talk about it, oh, 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 Kevin does say, well, no, no, no. When my dad makes a plan, it's set in stone. That's important. Um, then uh, Ted and Edna show up. I think their I think their Brangelina name would be Tedna. Can we can I call them Tedna? Yes, would call you call them Tedna? I like Tedna. Yeah. Um, so they show up and they kind of come into the middle of a conversation. And Ted says, Well, you know what? I, I was thinking the same thing. I do want to postpone our trip because I want to take Edna instead. And the girls are like, uh, okay, you're gonna go on a vacation together? Are you gonna, you know, get separate rooms or something. And Mrs. Garrett says, no, we are going to be married tomorrow. It will be our honeymoon. And in response to what Kevin said earlier about making a plan it's set in stone, mm-hmm. Ted turns to his son and says, is that flexible enough for you, kid? And we go to commercial on this. They are getting married the next day. So in under a week, crazy. So uh, we are at commercial at this point. And during commercial April, I like to spend some time getting to know my guests and introduce you to uh, my my tens of listeners and uh, talk to you about your art and your artistry. Now, you are sort of one of the premier comedy queens here in Orlando as far as doing your comedy brunch and trivia. And give us a quick rundown of all the things you're involved in right now. Well, in the world of drag, I've been doing drag 22 years now. Wow. Um, And the, I actually... 
started and own and run the National Miss Comedy Queen Drag Pageant. Oh, uh-huh. um, so we just we just in 2019 had our 15th year. It's of course on hiatus um, due to COVID, and but we will be bringing that back as soon as the world opens up again. Um, but that's become very successful, and people from all over the country come and enter that. Um, our current reigning queen is Miss Tina Burner, who is also on this season of RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, um, exciting! Yeah, pretty exciting. Um, and then I also, you know, like I said before, I'm stuck in the '80s, so <laughs> I, I do my um, my retro. I used to back when Parliament House was open. I had an '80s night there, um, but then when they closed. I basically moved over to District Dive and have the retro trivia night. Um, but yeah, that's where I take most of my inspiration from for my performances. So it's either going to be Broadway or comedy or 80s uh-huh. <laughs> for the most part. It, trying to learn a new number by a current artist is just, even though I will do it, it's a little odd for me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I, Cindy Lauper is my favorite of all time. So that's definitely where I channel a lot of my drag from. I've seen if uh, I, I encourage people to go to your social media where there are pictures of you in your Cindy Lauper uh, yeah. get up, if if I may call it that, yeah. uh, as well as um, as well as some Boy George inspired. Absolutely, and let's be honest, he's basically a drag queen himself. Yeah, so. Of course, of course, yeah. mainstream. Yeah, he was doing it long before RuPaul's Drag Race. Exactly. And, and yes, you can all visit theaprilfresh.com. Now, now, don't go to aprilfresh.com because it will be cleaning supplies. However, <laughs> theaprilfresh.com is where you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> what What is this about twenty mule team borax? What's exactly, that? Exactly. <laughs> So you've been doing drag for 22 years, you said? I have. All right. Can you give us a, a McTour of your life that uh, brings us from where you were born and where you were raised? And how did you end up doing drag and coming to Central Florida to do that drag? Absolutely. So I grew up up in Lake County, uh, mm-hmm. Florida. To, I was born in Winter Park, but grew up in Lake County, Tiberias in particular, Wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, You're a native Floridian? I am a, I know. I'm one of the few that... I was going to say, you don't that. exist. You're a unicorn. <laughs> I am a unicorn. Exactly. Yeah, we, there's not many of us that are, you know, they call it Florida crackers. I don't know if that's uh, politically correct, but mm-hmm. they say someone that's born there and still lives here is a, is a Florida cracker. So that would be me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at around age... 15 when I realized that I was not like all the other people in Lake County. (laughs) Um, And then once I started getting a car, I realized I have to get to Orlando. And it was only, you know, 45 minutes or so. So I would uh, drive to Orlando and then I discovered the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, And I was already completely familiar with it when the first time I actually went to see it. Um, and then I met other gay people and I'm like, okay, these are my people. I have found my tribe. Mm. Um, and that was kind of my intro into drag because it's, you know, I was in, I joined the cast and of course, you know, you're lip syncing, 
which is great for me because I don't actually have any singing talent. Um, <laughs> but it it made me appreciate the art of makeup, the art of performing. Um, and then, you know, after college, when I um, I started bartending pretty much right out of college and that's been my career for a while. And then all of a sudden I started doing drag as well. And then, you know, the past few years, it's it's odd to have happened at this age, but that's when drag is paying more than bartending is. It's, it's, it's a very strange world we live in, but <laughs> uh, kind of cool. So yeah, I'm really enjoying it. That's great. Yeah. And I went, I went to college for photography. So I also am a photographer. Oh, okay. And also a Wave, Wave Award winner for favorite local photographer. Oh. I also find interesting that I really don't do photography like I used to. But now I'm still winning awards for it. And I'm very honored and blessed to have, have been named that. But um, yeah, I like to have my hand in many pots. So in a couple of days a week, I do drag a few days a week and photo shoots here and there. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a cool world. Uh-huh. And uh, launch cosmetic lines with your own eyeshadow palette, I believe? Absolutely. Give Cosmo Cosmetics just put out an April Fresh palette. You can get that on my website. You remember, theaprilfresh.com. <laughs> <laughs> Say it as many times as you want. I will post links in the show notes as well as on the website where people can find you on the web. And, uh, and it is interesting how... Uh, you know, all performance art has had to essentially reinvent itself for yeah. the pandemic and how everything had to go online and in people's homes. And uh, on YouTube, there's one of your one of your full comedy brunches, like the entire show is there with you welcoming mm -hmm. special guests from their homes and and these queens performing. And it's really kind of amazing and certainly a testament to our community of artists, all artists, of how flexible we are, how we are able to reinvent ourselves when the chips are down. And we have to. It's the same for you. You're an actor, and you, you, we just have to figure it out, and we find ways to do it. Mm -hmm. It's funny. A, uh, this time last year, I had never been on a Zoom call. I didn't know what uh, StreamYard was. Um, I didn't know any... I'd never done an online show why would one do that yeah and now i i still it's interesting because i um you know florida is its own thing but i started last march doing every monday was manic monday with april fresh where i would do an online round of trivia and then i would do a little instagram drag show and put up my cash app and venmo it didn't know what those were about a year ago either yeah uh, <laughs> so and, true and yes people from around the country would still chime in and, and tip me a few dollars i'm like okay so now that florida has basically opened back up i still don't want to um stop doing that so every monday i still do my online stuff before i go to district dive so i double i get to double dip it's it's pretty cool yeah. and um it's the the fans that i have accumulated on those monday shows they're still there and they're very they're happy that i'm there and it's it's really cool yeah, and I'm I, I'm a firm believer that uh, a streaming show is not a replacement for a live performance. But it is interesting how uh, 
the the streaming content that we are creating does stand on its own. And now we're discovering, like you just said, it can be a supplement to what we do in addition to that. Yeah. I mean, this podcast is kind of like that. It's just the audio version of that. Exactly. Well, a big thank you to all of you people that are listening, as well as be sure to support David on this um, journey because every little dollar helps 100%. Oh, thank you. Never, I've never had one of my guests plug me. That's a, yeah. that's that's fabulous. Thank you. What gracious, amazing guest you are. Thank I you. I almost hate to stop talking about you, but we got to get back to this show. Let's get back to the facts of life. We have a quandary, a dilemma, a brouhaha, as it were. Do tell. We're in the bedroom, and we are the night before... Mrs. Garrett and Ted, I'm sorry, Tedna's, we have to start using that. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll go viral. Uh, Tedna's wedding is the next day and the girls are trying to do what they can to help plan a wedding. But Blair is distraught because people aren't available on such short notice to come to a wedding the next day. Uh, it also doesn't help that Mrs. Garrett technically has no friends that we have ever heard of ever in the entire six and a half year history of this show. What does Tootie go and do? She puts a ad for the wedding in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. They just say, screw this. We'll just invite anybody. Come one, come all. Uh, now we have an interesting moment here. They talk about, is Ted going to move in? Is, are they going to have to share the bathroom with a, a man now in the house? And... Uh, then someone else says, well, maybe she won't live here. Maybe Mrs. Garrett's going to sell off the shop. And it's kind of like, you know, these are really good questions that we, the audience, are also asking ourselves. And then Mrs. Garrett comes in and she's like, hi, girls. And she says, am I interrupting something? And this is the natural time when the girls could have and should have said, yes, you are interrupting something. We're wondering, what is the plan here? What? Yeah, we're helping you to plan this wedding. That's, you know, put one foot in front of the other here. But what is the long-term thing? Do we need to look for a new place to live? I do not think they would have been out of line to ask her that question at that time. Do you? No, I think that would have been in a perfect time. Yeah. And yet it's like, am I interrupting something like, oh, no, <laughs> it's wonderful. We're so happy for you. And uh, she she does kind of float out and isn't it nice and she really is on cloud nine it is nice to see mrs garrett this happy absolutely True. so then we move on to the day of the wedding with people arriving as you said because tootie put up a flyer at the supermarket so they are total strangers um <laughs> it is weird that people even in 1985 are like what free wedding food being served i'm in right that's a little weird not going to lie. It's, but it's, you know, comedically, I get it. That's where you have to exaggerate something for comedic purposes. Yeah. Um, Ted is really upset and, and, and really stressed because Kevin was supposed to be there with the ring and uh, he's not there yet. And he says, you'd think of all days he'd be on time. So they haven't really laid that heavily into this, but I will give this episode its writing props for they have dropped just enough to show that this is a somewhat strained relationship between father and son. Mm -hmm. And saying things like, you'd think of all days he'd be on time, meaning 
my damn kid is always late. And, you know, another thing that I disapprove of on top of this skiing thing, it's, right. you know, the show isn't often subtle, but I have to say, I do like the fact that it's not a full out war sparring, yelling at each other, adversarial relationship. They do kind of sort of reconcile a little bit uh, in, in a short bit, but I like that it's kind of more of a, of a subtle parental disapproval story going on here. Do you yeah. have any commentary about what the girls are wearing to this wedding? Did you notice anything? I honestly did not even really pay attention to what they were wearing because nothing stood out. Let me go through quickly what we've got here. Tootie is wearing a pink drop waist mother of the bride dress. <laughs> Tootie looks like she is 45 years old. Natalie, on the other hand, is wearing a bright blue dress blue. with a matching Cindy Lauper tied bow mm -hmm. ribbon in her hair. Very casual looking <laughs> with this uh, dress that's a little more formal. That's a little weird. Blair is, if she had on a hat and sunglasses, Blair is dressed like Joan Collins from an episode of Dynasty. She's got a fitted black skirt, a shiny navy blue and black striped blouse that has puffy sleeves. It's got a, a, I believe the term is a peplum. Is that the right term? That is the term, peplum. Peplum being the thing just below the waist that flares out and uh, creates more of a waist. Like an apron. <laughs> yeah, kind of like an apron, yeah. You know, who used to have them all the time was Dixie Carter. Mm-hmm on Designing Women because Dixie Carter did not have any sort of an hourglass. She was sort of a straight line from her armpits down to her ankles. So a peplum is a nice way to create more of an hourglass when there might not be one there. Uh, so a uh, big thick black belt on this outfit. Uh, and Blair has her hair up. Her Joe Dirt uh, look has now uh, graduated into a very mature, uh, nice look. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, and uh, the, the thing is, it's the, the sheen of it makes it seem a little flashy. Kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And Joe comes in wearing a gray jacket and a gray scarf. And when, the, when we do see what she's got on underneath, it is just a gray ass dress. It has very little shape to it. It's like a potato sack. She's wearing a black belt down around her hips. And uh, the sleeves are rolled up and it's, it's just like the typical tomboy Joe type. Of course she's dressed that way. Did that surprise you at all? Not at all. But however, it was interesting that she was at least in a dress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that was a fight with the producers. Probably. So um, with all of this, uh, Natalie goes up to check on Mrs. Garrett. So Mrs. Garrett is getting ready up in the girls' bedroom. I don't know if we ever see Mrs. Garrett's bedroom here at this house. I We haven't seen it yet, and I'm not sure it ever happens down the road. Do you remember? I don't, I don't recall. I feel like we've seen it, but maybe we haven't. Yeah. I mean, we had it in over Eastland, over the cafeteria, right. and you know, in the dorms there. But yes. I don't know that we ever see... Uh, the Mrs. Garrett bedroom at 320 Main Street in Peekskill, well, hey, New York. It's easier if that's one less set they have to build. <laughs> <laughs> True. So that's why she's getting ready in the girls' bedroom. Then we have a really nice 
lovely scene where Natalie goes up to check on Mrs. Garrett and ends up helping her finish getting ready, puts her necklace on and all that. And uh, before we get into it, it's really a great thing that they said, let's have Natalie be the one. Blair and Joe are the oldest. They've been going through more adult type of things with being college students. Natalie hasn't really gotten her due as far as showing that she is getting older, showing that she could be more of a peer to Mrs. Garrett as opposed to another one of her kids. I felt this was a great scene for Natalie, and it this scene also made me like Tootie even less. <laughs> Just because. You know, when, when it was... Back when it was young, cute, uh, roller skating Tootie, she was probably my favorite. But the the longer the series goes, the less I care for her. We have had a, a glut of recent episodes, April, where mm-hmm. the guests and I have all been, Tootie is a garbage person. What is wrong with her? Now, I, what does she do in this show that, that upsets you? Because I, I feel like in this show, she's pretty neutral. She's pretty neutral, but right off of that first scene, she was the one that blabbed about the Ted coming to town. Mm-hmm. Um, that is true. That was pretty much it, other than the uh, putting the ad in the grocery store. Other than that, she was very not very featured in this episode. <laughs> no. And, and honestly, that is for the better, because like I said, exactly. lately, she has been a garbage person. Last week, Trinell just constantly kept saying, I wanted to slap Tootie. She wanted, <laughs> she wanted to inflict some injury. And, and it's uh, such a difference later in the series from how much you rooted for her early on. Mm-hmm. You know, like, remember, didn't she um, make the sculpture of Jermaine Jackson? Yes. And, you know, that was like a, that was a 2D episode. Mm-hmm. I feel like the 2D episodes are going to be fewer and far between going forward. Maybe not completely, but. Yeah. I'm, I haven't watched these in a long time, so I'm yeah. kind of rediscovering. I'm not coming at the podcast from having a completist encyclopedic knowledge of everything. I'm, I'm discovering a lot, particularly as we progress through it uh, in the later seasons, because I kind of fell off. By the time we got to uh, over our heads, I, I was in college by that time, and I wasn't really watching it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm fascinated to see where Tootie goes, because we know she eventually will study acting. We know she's going to rekindle her romance with her boyfriend, Jeff, and they're going to be engaged. Right. Uh, by the series end and all that. So yeah, it's kind of like, ooh, Tootie, you got to come out of this this garbage person phase because we are really struggling. Last season, it was Kim Fields not doing her best acting. Gotcha. She was being a little loud, a little broad, and not as effective as the others. So there was a lot of criticism of Kim Fields knowing that it was just a phase that she goes through. I think her performances are much better this season, but the writing of the character, you're right. right. It's like, oof, are we supposed to like her? Exactly. I have a, I have a sidebar for you. Do. Um, of Natalie, Joe, uh, Tootie, and Blair, how would you rank those as far as being the best actor to least to worst actor? Um, best actor, hands down, Nancy McKeon. 
Mm-hmm. No question. She could turn on the waterworks on a dime. She could make us cry on command. It's unfortunate that as the series has progressed, she is given less opportunity to to um kind of that. Yeah, this podcast, listeners will know, anytime Nancy McKeon cries, I am in heaven. Mm-hmm. Second actress right behind her, Lisa Welchel. Mm-hmm. Lisa Welchel, amazing, crushes it, has all of her uh, all of her chips. Um, I, I ooh, this is tough. I, I, I know. never thought I'd have to say, um, you know, Kim Fields probably has a lot more talent than Mindy Cohn had or has, but there are times when Kim Fields' talent is less apparent. Yes. <laughs> than others but but the reason why that's a sophie's choice for me is that you do have to give mindy Cohn props the fact that she is a completely untrained actress who yeah. was thrown into this world and sink or swim she swam and and floated and rose above and let's be honest mindy Cohn is natalie green it's not like yeah her, she's had all these other roles where kim fields has done several things but um, but I would agree with that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So that it's that's that's my ranking. I guess I'm gonna put huh, I'm gonna put Mindy Cohn last with an asterisk that this is like you know A plus A plus yes. A A minus. Yes. <laughs> that's that's what this is not a pass fail uh, uh, ranking system. But yeah, I'm gonna say Nancy McKeon, Lisa Welchel, Kim Fields, uh, Mindy Cohn. I would I would agree with that. Excellent. Wow. I like it. Very nice. Do you want to talk about Mrs. Garrett's wedding dress? Well, it was kind of plain, Jane, and it was definitely blue. Oh, was it blue? I thought it was more of a seafoam green. Uh, well, yeah, it's kind of this color. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the color of your fingernails. That's amazing. Exactly. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is very seafoam. Yeah, I I read it as green, but the the episodes look right. different in different formats. I feel like watching the DVDs, I think it is more on the green side, hmm. which makes sense because for a redhead, that's what you do. Really, you okay. could go you go blue or green, but um, green and and by the way, her hair is looking great. It's it's bright, and I fucking love this tone of hair. She's got the the tight old bun like she always does. Yes. Um. But it's uh, it's taffeta, isn't it? It's not a classic wedding dress by any means. However, it's also not her first wedding, so she certainly wouldn't be wearing white. But it's uh, it looks more like a prom dress yeah, from the eighties, and uh, it is like I said, taffeta. That's that's the stuff that has that sort of the sheen to it, with the mm-hmm. sort of it almost looks like wood grain or something. Yes. Because I, you'd think I'd know my fabrics better for the few times I've done drag, um, but uh, so the it has puffy sleeves. Um, it's got a very fitted waist, and she hasn't been wearing any real fitted things. She's very slim this uh, this season. This she is slim this season. Yeah, so it's got a you know the A line skirt, but the very uh, fitted in the bodice. Uh, the puffy sleeves. It's a very 80s dress, but like I said, it looks a little more prom dressy than wedding dressy. Yes. That's all fine and dandy. Um, <laughs> she's listening to a Walkman. 
yes. when Natalie walks in and then she says, oh, Glenn Miller is who she's listening to. And it's like, <laughs> because she's old. Yes. Um, the implication by the Glenn Miller. <laughs> oh, yes. So true. Um, finally, Natalie says, and I love, again, this is Natalie that says, Mrs. Garrett, we need to talk. Don't you think you might be rushing into this? And Mrs. Garrett almost immediately says, no. And Natalie says, okay, just checking. Thanks. You're welcome. Fine. Bye. Kind of a, okay, I was going to dance near it, but you're, you clearly don't want to talk about it. And then Mrs. Garrett does sort of say, I, I know. I know you probably think I'm, you know, going a little crazy here. And Natalie says, what would you say to one of us if we showed up wanting to marry a guy that we met a week ago? And Mrs. Garrett says, we didn't meet a week ago. We go way, way, way back. I knew him in high school. I'm not thinking about this rationally, and I don't want to. I'm going completely on instinct. I made a mistake once, and I lost him, and I don't want to lose him again, is what she says. Mm -hmm. And then as they sort of wrap up this conversation, Natalie does say, well, Mrs. Garrett, you do have terrific instincts. It's a really nice moment between them. It is nice. So we go downstairs and we've got uh, Kevin arriving with the ring. Uh, he is dressed very nice in a tan sports coat and brown pants, uh, burgundy tie, light blue dress shirt, brown shoes, white socks. Ooh. What the shit? White socks. Somebody does want to be on the ski slope. They don't want to be over at the JCPenney right. for sure. Um so just before the ceremony is about to begin, in come these two amazing old ladies. How much were, did we love these old ladies? I love them. They were like the equivalent of um, the woman who played Adelaide on Different Strokes. And, I believe you mean the wonderful Nidra Voles. And um, the Where's the Beef lady, whose name escapes me, but as soon as you say it, I'll know it. Clara Peller. That's the one. It, it, they reminded me of those two. That's that's a perfect analogy. They are very yep. much that type. Uh, they are very, very not young. Exactly. And uh, they actually are named in the cast list, in the end credits, as their own names. Their names are Ruth and Eve, played by Ruth Gillette and Eve Smith. Perfect. <laughs> and both of them are veteran character actresses. They don't have a lot, a lot of credits. But um, Eve Smith uh, was uh, raised in Jacksonville, Florida. She's a Floridian lady. She's the she's the one <laughs> coming in saying, <laughs> where's the refreshments? The sign said yeah. there'd be refreshments. Yeah. <laughs> they brought in a little extra comedy to this episode, which was needed. <laughs> I love them so much. And here's the best thing, April. They are going to be back three more episodes. That makes me very happy. Mm-hmm. They are going to be around for the grand opening of Over Our Heads. Perfect. They are two older former patrons looking for Edna's quiche, literally uh, the day that they opened. And it's like, fuck, we don't do that anymore. And then I don't know who for all the shit I give to the producers, the writer's room, for for not having a show Bible or not caring about a show Bible or paying attention to stuff. They actually turn up 
for Mrs. Garrett's wedding in season eight when she really does marry Bruce and leave the show. Wow. Somebody said that. those two funny old ladies that were at the other wedding that Let's didn't. Get them back. Yeah, that the wedding that didn't happen. Spoiler alert, the wedding doesn't yeah, you happen. Just, you just spoiled it. Oh, Don't! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but somebody said, those two old ladies, they had like three lines apiece and they fucking crushed it. Yep. So in two more years, they are going to be back attending Edna's uh, actual wedding to Bruce, played by Robert Mandon, before she exits the show. And I love that. Writers, I forgive you 40% of the infractions that I have previously condemned you for. You are welcome. Yes. Uh, so then we do have a little bit of a father-son, little bit of a tiff happening here. Joe kind of sort of tries to mediate because uh, Ned is... Um, and because Ted is mad that Kevin is late. He's like, we've been waiting for you the whole time. Why would you? So um, Kevin reveals a very lovely thing. He says, well, I'm late, dad, because, and he hands him some papers. And what has he done, April? He has registered for classes at the college. Not a full-time student, but at least a couple of classes. Mm-hmm. And... It was a lovely moment, and one of the nice things that Kevin does say to his dad is, this wedding is so weird. I'm not used to you acting on impulse. That's what I do. And just the nice little understanding without it having to become a big thing in the episode. And at the very least, the writers are thinking, well, what are we going to do to keep Kevin in the show? Because... If we're it, Ryan Cassidy's got that credit, we got to keep him here somehow. Mm -hmm. we, we typeset that, you know, that was whew. um, so then we go up to the final scene up in the bedroom upstairs where Edna's getting married, where, where Edna's getting ready. Uh, Ted shows up, they don't do the typical trope of ah, you're not supposed to see the bride, which was nice because that's so fucking done and expected, and it's like. Yeah, that's why the marriage is going to fail. That's the that's the bad luck, yeah. Um, so uh, Edna's looking at her yearbook, and Ted and she kind of reminisce a little bit about uh, this and that with their past, their history. Um, and then Ted gives her a present from Kevin. Kevin had said, would you give this to Edna for me? And it's a little, it looks like the top of a trophy. It's like a chrome little statue. And Edna says, it looks like a skier going off of a cliff. And then he says, I think it's just a ramp he's going off of. And she pauses and says, is this us? And then she looks again and says, no, it's not. He has his eyes open. So this is where Edna finally kind of has her moment of clarity. And she turns to Ted and says, do you think we could maybe take this one step at a time? Do you want to go steady? And he says, well, yeah, of course, but they're all downstairs expecting a wedding. And she says, well, guess what? It's going to be a going steady party. And so following in that vein, Ted gives her his high school pin all over again. She is thrilled and they kiss and embrace. Freeze frame, roll credits. The end. And we never, ever see him ever again. Yep. I mean, 
a lovely, nice little ending. It was weird that, like, she would get married so quickly. I don't think any of us thought that it was going to follow through, that by the end of this episode, right. she'd be married. Um, so uh, overall thoughts. Give me your overall review, because I have thoughts and a few notes for the writers. But uh, in general, where do you think this falls in the spectrum of Facts of Life episode excellence? First, I have a question. Do we get Ryan Cassidy some more? Yes. They've uh, already, just on this first episode, give us lots of little personality traits. But does he stick around for a while, or is he a few episodes, or do we know? I think a half a dozen is what we get him for. Okay, I'll I'll take it. Um, I thought it was a... I find shows like this often... When you have an ensemble cast and you have five major characters, um, it's usually a Joe episode, then a Blair episode, then a Natalie episode, and so forth. This was definitely an Edna Garrett episode, mm-hmm. which was probably needed. Oh yeah, uh, and I thought it was I thought it was very good. I um, there were so you know we've already discussed how Tootie was how we how our our feelings on 2 d are the others were basically there just to throw a little something here and there but they they did very little uh it was pretty much the edna garrett with um a side featuring of natalie which was nice yeah and like you said it was needed and nice and lovely to have a mrs garrett centric episode because we do not get many of these at all um my thoughts are that I did like it an awful lot for the aforementioned reasons. Here are the tweaks I would make. As I joke, these are the notes I will be sending in the time machine back to the writers. Yes. (laughs) Uh, We've discussed many times about how Mrs. Garrett is a character who typically has no flaws. She always is the person who uh, knows the answers, has the wisdom, the experience, And uh, we did have an earlier episode where she did also jump a little too quickly into a relationship because she really liked the guy a lot. It was September Song, and it was an episode, I think it was in season four. It was still at Eastland, where she had an older boyfriend who was Mm -hmm. 70, and uh, he hurt his back and ended up being bedridden at their place in her bed and very quickly things fell apart when she realized what a pain in the ass he was. Uh, but we, we talked about then that it would have been nice for her to go to the girls and say, you know what? I got swept away. I thought he was a great guy. I was so impressed with his credits, his intelligence, his pedigree, and that he wanted to marry me. I, I was thrilled by that, but I didn't take time to try and clearly see what a relationship a true relationship with him would be like. And I think this episode could have been a continuation of that. But this time, instead of it being her getting carried away with the idea of being married again, of having romance or whatever, I think the important thing they could have highlighted was that when Ted says to her, it was the best thing that you ever did, running off on prom night, it would have been great for Edna to say, Ted, that makes me so happy. I have carried so much guilt about that for my entire life. I didn't think you would ever forgive me. I'm not sure I've ever forgiven myself. Then 
we go to the scene in the bedroom where the girls could have and should have said, what is the game plan? Um, we don't know. We, we'll work it out. It's just, I'm girls, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just happy and I'm marrying him tomorrow and have her deflect that. Have her not thinking sensibly, which is a great character flaw. And then when she's looking through the yearbook, she says, I was showing it to the girls. I would have loved for her to say, I never look at this book. And he's like, you never? She says, no, I've even wondered why I kept it all these years. Because every time I would go to it, I would think of you and I would feel terrible. I'm so happy to look at it now. But what it would all be leading up to is her saying, Ted, I think me marrying you and jumping into this so quickly isn't so much how I feel about you. It's about the need to desperately alleviate the guilt that I felt for thinking that I hurt you all those years ago. See, I wonder if you, if there was a way to go back and you to throw those things in there and if they would have actually followed through, would they have won more awards? Probably. Uh-huh. The, the Emmy shelf would have been full. Exactly. Yeah. But all of those things you mentioned definitely would have tied it up better. And you're right. She implied the guilt, but then they, that was kind of it. Yeah, she implied that she felt bad about it. And I mean, the way she told the story, it, it is something you could justifiably say. She has felt terrible about it and has had to put out of her mind, hasn't even thought about it. Or or she could say, well, I did hear at one time that he did find someone and get married. Mm -hmm. So that made it a little bit better. But what I would have loved is for her to say, I want to be with you, but I'm rushing into this because my guilt is making me do it. I need to let that go and then see what happens with us. It's that to me would have made her a much more dimensional character. That's something we've never really gotten from Mrs. Garrett as far as uh, harboring something like that or, or feeling guilty. Uh, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's my two cents, my little shit show. And because, uh, like you said before, she's always the character that has everything figured out and has it all together. And she's the one that's in charge. Where in this particular episode, she had kind of lost a little bit of that. Yeah. The conversation with Natalie, with her going, I'm just working on instinct. That was kind of an interesting thing for Mrs. Garrett to say, I'm not thinking, I'm going on instinct. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't make me think about it. And yeah. it, Natalie could have even just said, well... We like him. That's the important thing is we like him. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, we're, we're not sure that you're doing this for the right reasons. So here we are. We're at the end. We've done it. We've, we've fixed everything. We've gotten through the episode. We've <laughs> made your tens of listeners extremely happy. Yes, and I think they will be even happier when they visit your website or check out some of your social media and see some of the hilarious stuff that you post and you. Uh, put up there. So, yeah, thank you so much for doing this and for, for giving me your time and for, for being so enthusiastically on board with, with doing this. I hope we get to do it again. Well, let's do do it again. I am available, and um, this was so much fun, and I thank you for having me. All right. Well, Miss April Fresh, smooches and goodbye. Mwah. And there you have it. That was April Fresh. So sweet. And uh, putting me on the spot there in a good way, asking me to rank 
how much I love TV versus movies versus Broadway and uh, asking who I thought the best actresses were. She was like uh, giving me the chance to be the guest at points and, and even turned around and plugged me to my own listeners. I mean, this broad is a class act. I can't wait till we get to do it again. In the meantime, I've posted links to all of her social media and to her website. Next week, I'm going to be watching Season 6, Episode 18, with a little help from my friends. That's, that's the name of the episode. I'm not actually having multiple friends help me watch the episode. No, actually, it's going to be one friend. It's going to be Daryl Pickett. Back for more, another three-peat guest. We'll be joining for his third show with me, but this time not locally from Orlando. He is going to be joining me via Zoom all the way from his new home in Albuquerque. We're going to be hearing about that and a lot of other stuff that he's working on. You can watch the show for free at dailymotion.com. I have posted the link in the show notes and on this episode's webpage. That is all for now. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's show. And remember... The facts of life are all about you. Let's Face the Facts was created, produced, written, hosted, and edited by me, David Almeida. My theme song was beautifully arranged and recorded by Ned Wilkinson. Visit my website, facethefactspod.com, for supplemental photos and videos, audio extras from the digital cutting room floor, links to my social media, and ways that you can support the show financially. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever fine podcasts are found. Tune in again next week for another thrilling episode of Let's Face the Facts. Let's Face the Facts.